This is Independence Weekend, right? We've been celebrating. It's big. But there's a story about Chicago that just got my mind totally bent around what God is calling us to do as his people in this city. So you guys know, in uh, I think it was 1871, there was a big fire in Chicago. Like, it burned everything down. Um, the whole city of Chicago was made out of wood. I don't know if you guys knew that. They call it the second city, but they don't call it the second city because it's like second to New York or something. It's actually the second time they built the city. So that's why they call it that. I learned that on a boat cruise while I was there. I'm kicking down knowledge right now, just so you know. Um, but on this uh, tour, we got to this place and the guy was explaining the city of Chicago. He's like, every single building was made out of wood. The walkways on every street were made out of wood. All the railings down the sides of the roads and down the places where uh, they, all the ships would go. And every bridge was made out of wood. Like the whole place was made out of wood. And he took us to the very end of the boat ride that we were on. And he said, notice in the distance, there's this big tower. He said, that's now where the fire department trains. He's like, but that's where the fire originated. And within 90 minutes, that fire had made its way and started leaping across the river uh, through ash and ember and finding its way literally miles down the road. And, and this was the single most destructive uh, force that the U.S. had seen up to this point. In fact, the banks of the river were way back into the city at this point. But with all the destruction from the fire, when they finally got it all put out, put everything down, all they could do was kind of push everything out toward the water. And it actually increased the land capacity of the city of Chicago by a huge amount. There's a lot of skyscrapers and places and, and big buildings that are built right along the water that are actually on the rubble that was pushed into the water from that fire. Now that was amazing enough to me, right? Like I'm just thinking this huge catastrophic deal. But then I read another story. Um, there's a pastor from Chicago, D.L. Moody. He's really well known, um, kind of was one of the fathers of like the YMCA and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and that night uh, that the fire started, they were having a service. And during that service, he had preached a message, and he had shared the message, and, and they, they quoted kind of all the stuff that he had shared, and I read through the sermon and everything. It's a great sermon. Uh, he, he's an awesome, awesome preacher. But then he got to the end of the message, and he said, Now, some of the things that you've heard tonight are going to sit in your heart, and you're going to need to really think about those things. And we're going to meet together next week. And I'm going to ask that you consider these things and ponder these things next week to ask yourself, what are you going to do with the knowledge of the Savior, with the knowledge of Jesus Christ in your hearts? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? And next week, we're going to talk about how you're going to respond. And as he was saying those final last words, the first alarms for the fire started to sound. Well, a fire wasn't abnormal, so that was not a big deal to them. But even as they began to sing their closing song, the worship leader got up and said that they could barely hear one another over the sounds of the alarms. And they went home that night, 
and the most catastrophic fire in the history of the U.S. up to that point was taking place. And hundreds and thousands of people died that night. And Moody recounted that he could not hardly live with himself for the fact that he had not asked people then and there to respond to the message of the gospel. And he was quoted as saying, I will never again see that congregation. And there will be people that I will never be able to share life again with. And there will be people who never made a decision for Christ. And it's in God's hands what he did with them. And he was torn by this idea that that night he had everybody right there. He had preached the message of the gospel. He had proclaimed the goodness of Jesus Christ. And he hadn't brought them to a point of decision, a point of action, a point of saying, now do something with this. And literally, that's the thing that drove him into the next uh, generation of his teaching and preaching ministry. And his passion for people was saying, I will never again let a service go by without asking people that have been confronted by Jesus Christ and the goodness of his Godship. Without giving them the chance to respond and give themselves wholeheartedly to God. I love that story because there's something about it that, that makes you realize that what we're doing here and what we're all about and what we're supposed to be about as the church is something of passion, of something that's driving us, is something that won't let one more day go by. And it's so easy for us in our American culture, right? And, and my brother sent me this funny picture. It was like Abraham Lincoln with a machine gun and a giant grizzly bear in front of him. And he's like, hey, uh, happy birthday, America, or something like that, right? And we have this bigger-than-life idea of who we are and what we are and that we're untouchable and, and that we live in this country where we're free and, and we, we'll, we'll always have tomorrow. And it's easy to get lulled to sleep in our faith. It's easy to find our way back to the places that, uh, it'll, let's deal with it tomorrow. Let's get to it tomorrow. Meanwhile, that picture of Moody wrapping up his sermon, saying, next week we'll talk about what you'll do with this message. All the while not knowing that a good, he said half to three quarters of his congregation that night was killed in that fire. Crazy. So the beginnings of this thought for me, and, and as we talk about our independence, as we talk about America and what we're supposed to be about, and as we consider our place in this is... Are we that passionate? Like, has something uh, aroused our intention, our heart, to the point that we won't let one more day go? We won't let one more day go without doing one more thing. I just heard a, a preacher, because we did a lot of travel, so I listened to a lot of sermons. And he just recounted that old story of the kid throwing the starfish back into the ocean, right? And it was just that reminder to me, again, there's that kid throwing the starfish in. And the old man comes up and he's like, what are you doing? You'll never make a difference. Like, you're not going to save all these starfish that are washed up on the shore. And he grabs the one and says, I'll make a difference to this one. And he throws it back in. And I think in this community, there's literally... Over 100,000 people. And of those 100,000, there's a portion of those who call in the, on the name of Jesus Christ. And the rest, God wants really bad. 
And he's waiting for people to say, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let one more day go by. And we don't want everybody to be like, you know, pushy, weird, creepy people. But on the other side, if we're living in such a way that it just emanates from us, that it just comes out of us, that there's a passion inside of us that says there's a better way, we can make a difference. So that leads us to our thoughts tonight out of Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4, if you want to pull that up on your app or your real Bible, whatever, uh, pages or clicks. It's happy to me either way. Um, Galatians chapter 4, and we've been trucking through ever since the very, um, I think the second service that we gathered together the week after Mother's Day. It's funny to be able to like count and know what I did every single week since we started. But hey, we're that young, so that's awesome, right? Um, But Galatians chapter 4 is where we are in this book. And we've talked about how easy it is for us to get lulled to sleep and to get put to sleep and go back to some of our our natural ways. And we talked over the last several weeks about how our brains naturally want to organize and order things. And that's one of the things that keeps coming back to me is my brain, my life, my desire is always to organize and order. But whenever I see the Spirit of God at work, and whenever I see places in the Bible where God did stuff, He completely flipped my idea of organization and order on its ear. He does things that are completely opposite. He, he helps us live in an upside down world. He says things like the last will be first and the first will be last. He says if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom, figure out how to serve better. He says find people and love them even if they hate you. Like things that just in my brain don't work. In your deepest pain, let go. Even into our salvation... He says things like, there's nothing you can do to make it any better. I think of of our natural inclination to try and follow the rules and try and fit the mold that God has put us, you know, uh, in this world. We want to order it and we want to do the right things and we want to do the right way. As if, if I did something a little bit better for God than Jesus sacrificed, maybe he got... He could get crucified a little bit better for me. The price has been paid. And it's done. And that's what Paul spends the majority of this section of Scripture talking about. And in verse 21, actually, sorry, in in verse 8, it says this. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say, now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? Let's just stop there. Um, So one of the things we did on this vacation, I know I'm using a lot of my vacation experience here, but it was a good vacation experience. Um, But we've never been to Vegas as in Las Vegas. 
Um, so I don't know if there's another Vegas, but, um, so as a family, we're like, Hey, let's go. Like people say you can go. And we didn't even go onto the strip. We went to like one of the, what was it called? The South something. I don't know. The South point. It was, Ooh, it's big, right? Like it's real. I mean, these places are huge. They're monuments, right? And we go to this place and the first thing we walk in and all the kids are like, Oh my gosh, they're smoking inside. Which I was like, oh yeah, I forgot they do that around here, right? And so we're like, <clears throat> and then as we're going through, we're just going to our room. And my daughters, their eyes are like this big around, right? And especially when the cocktail waitress comes around with her little bustier and a little like thongy McThingy. I don't even know <laughs> what it was. And like some leggings on and the what? It, it was like a velvet thong thingy. And, and I was like, oh, oh my, what's going on here, right? And they're just cruising through like, you know, they're wearing a whole set of clothes, which they weren't. And my daughter's like, Riley looks at me and she was like, dad, I will never, ever do that, right? And I was like, you, okay, I'm going to take you at your word for that, right? And then we're looking and every, like, there's a billion slot machines, right? And have you ever noticed that nobody ever looks excited at a slot machine? Like, you don't see anybody like, yeah! I mean, me putting in my two bucks, I totally am like that. Like, woo! But you see these people, they've got, like, their card attached to some little clippy thing, right? And they're, they're putting it in, but they always, you got to look bored, right? Apparently, that's the cool thing. You got to just sit there and have whatever you're drinking or whatever you're smoking at whatever hour of the day, whether it's 8 o'clock in the morning or 3 o'clock or whatever, right? It was just one of those things that kind of blows my mind, right? And I'm not saying if you go to Vegas that you're all going to hell or anything. You'll smell like you've been there, but all right. So, um, but as I was sitting there, I was like, it just blows my mind that this is like something that like people are craving because it doesn't look all that fun. And even like, I tried to get psyched up. I was like, honey, you got a $10 bill. Let's go down, right? Like, Whoa! I'm fired up. I got 10 bucks in my pocket, right? And it was gone really quick. Um, But because nobody ever wins in slots. I don't know. There's no winners. I don't know how that works. But um, except for my grandma, she always won. But um, but the whole big thing of this is as we were going, I was reading these scriptures and kind of I've been reading through Galatians every day, just kind of asking God, like, show me some new things in here. And when I see this before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that don't even exist. And I started thinking how many things we're slaves to. Whether it's um, as blatant as Las Vegas casinos and velvety thongs or whatever that is, right? Or, or just even like order. Like some people are slaves to order. And, and they drive themselves nuts just trying to be organized and be the best at this. And, and you know, I'm going to be the you know, most organized mom on the block. And they'll all applaud me as I drive into the neighborhood or whatever, right? Or, or we think about things like our athletics and our sports. And it's hard because, like, we're all involved and we're cheering our kids on and, and all those kind of things. And it's so easy to make that such a focal point of what we do. And are those things wrong? No. But when they get out of balance, they become hectic in our lives and they begin to take over and they begin to oversaturate who we are. And we begin to see parts of our character come out that we didn't really believe existed. 
I mentioned a few weeks ago that we were at a softball tournament and it wasn't going the way of the team uh, that was out there on the, on the field. And there was this team and literally every tournament we've been to that they've been at, they win it. And this game, they got skunked by a team that normally gets knocked out really early. I don't know what happened, like all the planets aligned or something, but, but it was like they got beat bad. And one of the dads, like, they're normally like a raucous, riotous crowd because they're winning and whatever. One of the dads went into the dugout and with ladies yelling vulgarities at the coaches, starts swinging at the coaches in the dugout with the kids around. And I'm going, what in the world is happening, right? People have lost their minds. But what happens is when we oversaturate ourselves to things like that, things that that overtake us, we begin to notice that some of the cracks in our character that maybe we can hide a lot and maybe we can put aside or maybe we can put down, some of those cracks become things that can take over and begin to rule us. I don't know how many people I've talked to when it comes to whatever thing that they've made their passion or their desire outside of God, what they'll say is things like, I never thought I would do that. I never thought we would go there. I never thought this could happen to me. And so when Paul says, so, so you were slaves to things that didn't even exist. And now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back and become slaves to those things? Now, verse 10, it says, you're trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. It's kind of passive aggressive on Paul's side right there. Okay, I guess I didn't do any good, right? But he's looking and he's watching a people that he had gingerly put in place. And he had seen them come to life in Christ. And he talks about that. And and then he's watching them trade it for something that just doesn't have life. He says, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. For For I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not you did not mistreat me when I first preached to you surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought you the good news but even though my condition tempted you to reject me you did not despise me or turn me away no you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or even Christ Jesus himself where is that joyful and grateful spirit you felt then I am sure that you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if it, had, if it had been possible. Have I now become your enemy because I'm telling you the truth? Those false teachers that, you're so, that are so eager to win your favor, but their intentions are not good. They are trying to shut you off from me so that you'll pay attention only to them. Them, If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they'll continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance... I don't know what else I can do to help you. It's a father's heart that's speaking out to people and he's saying, 
I see you in pain and I see you in distress and you don't have to live like this. I plead with you and I beg of you, please catch this and know this and and hear me. There's a way to change. And when we look at our culture and we look at what's around us in this community, there has to be some points where you and I look at people that we're in relationship with and we look across the table or we look across the path at them and we go, it doesn't have to be that hard. You're lost. You're broken. It doesn't have to be like this. The mental image that I have of of this community. When I cruise around and I see some of those lost people that are just struggling. It's not, I don't get angry at people that are living in sin. They're hurt. They're broken. They're tired. They're distressed. What else are they going to do? They don't know the truth. They've not been set free. The mental picture that I keep coming up with is remembering when I was playing football and a guy broke his leg like it was a gnarly, nasty deal. And I remember he the pain was so great. It was like you get all numb to that and you go to stand up and he went to stand up and it just buckled underneath him. And it was really grotesque. But I remember him just trying to drag himself off the field. And when I look out here, And I see in our community that there are people trying to stand on broken legs. And they don't know that there is a healer and that there is a redeemer and that there is an almighty God who's come to seek and to save them and to rescue them and to bind them up and to put them in a place where he can carry them to the places they need to go. No, they're trying to walk on broken legs and it hurts and it's painful and it's tiring and it's restricting And I'm reminded of our job. While Paul sat here and he said, I don't know how to proclaim freedom any better to you. Because I'm at this distance. I look at us as Pipeline Church of Visalia. And I say, we're not far away. We're right there. And there are some people in our lives and in our community who don't just need to celebrate independence and freedom for our national uh, government and be able to sing the national anthem and paint themselves stars and stripes and blow stuff up. But those very same people need to be proclaimed the message of freedom in Christ. The same thing that Paul's doing with the Galatian church where he's saying, don't forget what this is all about. Like, you're a great person. You're a good person. You have a good heart, but you're broken. That should be our heart and our compassion and our passion for reaching out to people and drawing them in. Some of us, it's really easy for us to just kind of go about and make sure our family is taken care of. When I read scripture like this, I hear guys like Paul yelling at me, don't give them one more day. You're there. I'm not. I can't do any more from this distance, from these pages. I need you to go and to love them and to serve them and to honor them and to speak into their lives. Because you never know if the fire's starting that night. You never know what's going to take place tomorrow. There's an urgency that we've got to be about. In this valley, we don't need water like next year. We need water like today. And there are people in our community that need the Holy Spirit and His presence to heal them, 
to bind them up and to help them find peace and hope. So this is a kind of a strange way to explain freedom. But this section of scripture is so vivid to me when I read this to hear a pastor calling out to his people to come back, come back. And when you come back, don't just be about yourself, but go out and bring more home, bring more home. In our house, um, we give the girls chores to do. And, uh, it's funny cause I used to do this too. Um, when we're done, when the kids are done with their chores, they can kind of do whatever they want. And uh, when we were done with our chores when we were kids, right, uh, we would go and we'd play and kind of like make fun of our bro- my brother. So I'd be like, ah, sucker, you didn't finish your work on time right there. Um, lately, something that's happened with both Riley and Rayana have kind of had moments of this. They're not great all the time. Let me just be the disclaimer. But there's been a couple points lately when I've seen them finish what they're supposed to do and then go and say, hey, can I help you get that done so we can do something else together? And that picture right there of kind of like, I'm good. I'm taken care of. I got my stuff done. We've put it in order. But now I want to make sure you're okay. Is kind of the picture that I think God wants us to start taking on in our hearts. Like, maybe my house is okay. Maybe we're good for right now. Maybe we're feeling like we're put together. Maybe it's even just a little better than bad. (laughs) But when we've found that place, then are we reaching out and making sure that those who are trying to walk on broken legs are finding peace and comfort as well? That's my thoughts for tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and I thank you for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for your grace. And that you have given us this time and this night to just be out here in your presence. I thank you for everybody who's here. God, I thank you for uh, this past uh, weekend that we've celebrated and lots have gone out of town. And I'm sure the highways are really busy with everybody trying to race back home and get ready for work tomorrow. But God, just in these moments as we hear the wind through the trees... Would we be reminded that your spirit hovers over this place and that you are drawing people unto you and that you are breaking people's hearts and making them sensitive to the things of you and that you have given us a work to do to go and proclaim the good news and to bring people home. Father, help us to be people who are about more than just celebrating freedom. But help us to be people who bring freedom in this community. And Father, I just pray right now and I just think about everybody who's seated here. And and maybe there's that person here tonight who has not kind of solidified their desire for you or their direction for you. Maybe there's dads that have been laboring in vain outside of your strength I pray that you would draw us back and you would give each one of us an opportunity to call on your son's name and to believe on you. And Father, I pray that you would help form us into your image and that you would renew us every single day. And God, that all throughout the week, would you help us and let us understand what it means to let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable 
in your sight. For you are our rock and our strength and our redeemer. So, Father, we proclaim your goodness and your mercy tonight. And we go from this place to celebrate a meal together. To honor you in community. And to talk and to share. And to see what you can do when you ignite fires of community in the light of your glory. We thank you. We praise you for the food we're about to eat and the time we're about to share. And we thank you for this great night together. In Jesus' name, amen.